Well, good morning, everybody. Am I on there? Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, got some big love handles, so reaching around there, I'm never sure what I'm poking at back there. But uh, I'm really thankful to be able to be with you all this morning. It feels like forever since I've been able to be here. Um, and so many of you uh, I know, and on behalf of my family, um, just want to thank this church and those of you that have continued to lift us up in prayer uh, through our our, can our family's journey can with, through cancer. Um, things are going really well. So um, in a couple weeks, I'll head up to Mayo Clinic uh, up in Rochester, Minnesota for my checkup, uh, which will be my um, six-month checkup from my last uh, surgery. And so we'll have a better idea then what we're looking at and um, how things are going. So until then, I can't really answer that question other than say, praise God, I'm here today. And uh, God is good, and I'm thankful to be here and thankful for this church. Uh, it's a very special place to our family. Uh, the Johnson family are special to us as well. And so uh, just for a lot of reasons, it's, it's a joy to be here um, this morning. So this morning we're picking up uh, where you guys left off last week in John chapter 7. And John continually strings together this, this narrative throughout this, um, this gospel in which he continually points out who Jesus is, why Jesus is here, the purpose of Christ, um, and how that relates to us, and um, giving an, an overall perspective of his love for Jesus. But I think sometimes it's easy to, when we read books of the Bible, it's, easier, it's easy for us to have some assumptions that may not quite be accurate. I think sometimes we might think about John, that he's like laying on his bed at night after these events happen, and he's writing these things down. And he's just like, yep, Jesus got him again today, and boy, they just can't understand this. I think sometimes we have to step back and remember that John is writing this after the fact. John is going back and writing to explain from the beginning, as the Holy Spirit leads him, um, who Jesus is, but also what he has experienced and who he has been. God has opened his eyes to who Jesus is. And I think that's really important because when we read passages like this, it's really easy for us to be very hard on what seems to be the villains in the text, who seems to be the people that are thoroughly confused. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that we also at once in our lives were confused and that all of us do not deserve God's grace and glory, but that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is open to all. And so I just want us to kind of have that frame in mind as we walk through what's happening here in this text. Um, we're going to be reading John 7, and we're going to start in verse 37, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, but we're really going to spend the majority of our time um, in John 37 through 39, but we are going to read the whole text, and we will touch that all. Um, but before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about today's uh, title of the message, which is, I am the living water. Um, I was greeted this morning by um, a kind couple that greets people normally when they walk into church here. She let me know where the water was, which I am thankful for, but she said, I see you already have a gallon of water with you. And it's not a gallon of water. It is a lot of water. But the reason for that is because water is really important for our bodies. And so I have spent a good, 
year and a half or so or whatever up at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. So I just got thinking about water and the necessity. And as we're going to talk about Jesus talking about water, just wanted to look a little bit at what Mayo Clinic had to say of the importance of water in our body. Nearly all of our bodies, according to Mayo Clinic, nearly all of our body's major system depends on water to function and survive. With water making up 60% of your body weight, it's no surprise that staying hydrated um, is helpful for you. Here are just a few ways that drinking water and staying hydrated are helpful for you. It regulates body temperature, moistens tissues in the eyes, nose, mouth, protects your body's organs and tissues, carries nutrients and oxygen to cells, lubricates joints, lessens burdens on the kidneys and liver by flushing out waste products and dissolves minerals and nutrients to make them accessible to your body. So they're talking about why hydration or drinking water is so important for your body. So I thought I'd give the Cleveland Clinic a fair shot as well. And I thought about what happens when you're dehydrated. And this is what they had to say. When you don't drink enough water or when you lose water quickly, um, what is at risk? Well, what's at risk being dehydrated is that um, you cannot take care of those specific things that they just mentioned, such as your organs shutting down, headaches, um, people having problem, but usually it happens from people that just simply don't drink enough water. I mean, what help is that for a medical place to tell you that basically your answer is it simply happens mostly because you don't drink enough water? And I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this passage today about just simply not being drinking enough water, not staying hydrated, not taking care of ourselves. And so as we look at water and we think about that, we are taking what's taking place here in John chapter 7 that John is writing about is the, is the festival of the shelters. Uh, you might hear the festival of the booths, the tents. There are different phrases for it, but basically what is happening is it's a time where they would go back and they would look at their journey from being taken out, the Israelites, of being taken out of Egypt, God delivering them, them wandering through the wilderness. And while wandering through the wilderness, they lived in tents or shelters or booths. And that's how they um, kept themselves uh, safe. That's how they protected themselves. And so... Um, Every time a year this came around, it was a really important thing for Jews to go to Jerusalem and participate in this festival. It was a week-long festival, and it was really important. And one of the things that happened a couple hundred years before Christ showed up on the scene was that water was then added to a part of the ritual of what had already been happening in this um, festival, which a lot of it, too, had to do with the hope for their crops um, and, and those sorts of things. And so today we're basically just going to focus on the water part of it. And so um, uh, I looked, uh, looked it up, and I think this commentary boiled it down the best. Uh, this is what would happen each day in regards to the water part of the festival. Okay, so for the first six days of the seven days, this is what would happen in Jerusalem. Each morning the people gathered together, and after the priest was sure that everything was in order, he would hold out a golden pitcher, and the crowd would then follow the priest to the pool of Siloam, chanting some of the great psalms and waving the lullabs in rhythm. 
And as they approached the, pil- the pool of Siloam, the priest would recite some beautiful, in, in some, uh, excuse me, uh, the priest would dip his pitcher into the water and the people would re- recite something beautiful from Isaiah 12, 3, which would say, without joy, you will draw water from the wells, with, with joy, excuse me, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Then the crowd would march back to the temple, enter through the water gate to the blast of the priest's trumpet. The priest would then circle the altar once, ascend with accompanying priest to the platform, and pour the water out. So every day, that's what would happen with the water, part of the festival. And every day, people participated in it, and they looked forward to the last day of the festival, the seventh day. That was the big grand finale. And so you wanted to be there, and you wanted to be a part of each building day, and that's what they did that. And all those things were representative of things that were happening um, in their past and how God has brought them through to where they are to remember that, but also to look forward and hope for what God would do for them currently and in the future. And so it's there that we pick up um, John 7 and verse 37. If you want to read along with me on your uh, paper Bible, or if you have a a digital version, that's great too. Um, John 7, 37 says, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow deep from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, apparently, we're going to see here that what Jesus just said, once again, as you talked about last week and been talking about, Jesus created quite a kerfuffle here. When some of the crowd heard this, the words they said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, which we all know the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Okay, that same Nicodemus, the one who came to him privately And who was one of them said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Okay, so as you're hearing all these different points, I couldn't help think, but sometimes people today don't know what to do with Jesus And people then certainly did not know what to do with Jesus. We see that, just as uh, you've talked about last week too, that some people said he's a good man. Some people said he's the Messiah. They wanted to kill him last week, so they sent these servants after to find Jesus. And now after the reaction, this time people said, this must be the prophet. 
So the Israelites were told that there was a prophet that would come. And they're like, oh, this must be that prophet that we've been waiting for. Then some said, no, this has to be the Messiah. We're back to that again. This is going to be this King David-like figure that's going to help God's people be put back on the map, and God will rule, and the Messiah will be our king. And so here they are, and they're, they're looking at this, and they're, other people are just like, you know what? I think he's a big phony. Because first of all, he's from Galilee. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Remember my preface at the beginning of this, all right? It's easy for all of us to look at things after the fact and know things. But first of all, the experts of the law were wrong because Jonah was from Galilee. So there were prophets that arose from Galilee, okay? So they, they weren't exactly correct about that. Second of all, they were seen red. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything. I don't know. Maybe in the last four, five, six years in this country, where people are really divided on issues and everybody thinks that they're an expert and some people just see what they want to see and they, they've decided this is what it is and someone else says, no, this is what it is and then other people are really angry and they don't care what it is and if you happen to just ask a logical question, then they, they, they put you on one side or the other and then you must be an idiot too, okay? That's kind of what's going on in, with the, with the um, experts of the law here, all right? of what Jesus had to say. So we really have to stop and ask ourselves, what is it about what Jesus said that made it such a big deal? And so to do that, I want us to talk about what the big idea this morning is, and that is God promised to pour out his spirit, and he kept that promise in Christ. So you might be asking yourself, well, you know, what what is the you know, what, what sort of promise was it that God had that, that Christ is talking about here? And so, as we think about the Israelites, and we think about their journey, and we think about going from Egypt to the wilderness, and wondering, waiting to go to the promised land, and we think about this festival that reminds them that God has been with them, they're sleeping on their roofs in these homemade tents for a week. And they're going to the, the, the temple and they're having all these rites done over and over again every day because they're hoping that they continue to have bountiful crops. They're hoping that God will continue to give them rain not only for their crops, but so that they themselves can have water. Because they remembered when there seemed to be no water anywhere, Moses spoke and what came from a rock but water. And God provided from that for them. And so as they've added this water ritual with it, and it's in this moment that we need to understand that the seventh day of this festival was so different from the first six in what happened in the climax. And I just want to read what Kit Hughes wrote about it, because I just, it's beautiful. I think it's accurate. And I, and I, and I would rather just read what someone else wrote that helps really capture this. And then I want you to keep your finger right on verse 37, because I'm going to go straight there after I read this. If you got your digital, uh, whether you got an iPad or your phone or whatever else, make sure it's not asleep, okay? Because we're going to go right there. By the time you get it opened up, we're going to have already read it, all right? So here's what Kent Hughes has to say about that seventh day. 
The drama definitely escalated at that moment, just the right moment for Christ to speak out. It was finally the day of the feast, the seventh day, the day the priests would again come to the temple, followed by the great throng, chanting their psalms, waving their lullabs. They would come in through the water gate. The trumpets would sound again, but this time, the priest would circle the altar seven times in succession, just like at the walls of, there you go, Jericho. And when he came around the sixth time, he would be joined by another priest carrying the wine. They would ascend the ramp to the altar. Here he would pause as the priest raised the preacher. The crowd would begin to shout to the priest to hold it higher, and he would try to do so. It was considered to be, I want you to catch this, the height of joy in an Israelite's life if he could see the water being poured out onto the altar. It was at that hush and at that dramatic moment, now we're going to look at our Bibles, that Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. So here is this ritual. Here is this height of the moment. They're literally, I'm kind of a heavier guy, I hope the stage holds me. They're literally on the edge of their buildings, looking into the temple if possible, getting as close as they can. If they can tell stories to their family that one day I was so close, I actually got to see the priest pour out the water that shows that God continues to supply what we need for living and for my life. It's at that moment, that biggest moment, that Jesus, who knows that people are wanting to kill him, okay? He knows that. In the middle of all of this, Jesus stands up and shouts for all to hear that if anyone is thirsty, come to me. So John, once again, is not writing this as it's happening. John is writing this as the Holy Spirit is directing John on what's important for people to understand about Jesus. And what's important to understand about Jesus is that he is the living water, that he is the conduit, that he is the access to life forever, water that will not run dry. And so as we think about that, and as we think about what a big moment that was, you can only imagine how the religious leaders who are already angry with Jesus are just now incensed at the gall to be able to stand up and boast this. And you can see the confusion of people like, oh, wait, 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 I remember stories about a prophet that was going to come. And someone else is like, no, 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 this must be the Messiah. And then someone else is like, dude's from Galilee, are you kidding me? Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. We all know that Jesus is from the line of David. We all know that David was born in Bethlehem, okay? But they're just thinking about that. So I hope I don't embarrass my family. But you would say that my oldest son is from El Paso. But guess what? He was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
So technically, he's from El Paso, but technically, he is also from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right? But these are the things that happen when a person doesn't have the understanding that the Holy Spirit has given them. John has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. His eyes have been opened. He has walked with Jesus. He has talked with Jesus. He has cried with Jesus. He has laughed with Jesus. But he still didn't get it then. After Jesus was risen, and the day of Pentecost came, another festival, that's when John's eyes were opened. And that's when John was able to see. And as the Holy Spirit is telling John this, that's why John understood exactly who Jesus is as he's laying out and explaining to us so that our eyes can be open to who Jesus is. But these individuals, the reason they're so confused and angry is just like people today who don't know Jesus. The Holy Spirit hadn't opened their eyes yet, just like today people's eyes are not open. So it makes no sense to them. But the beautiful part about it is God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance, and that he is the living water, and that his spirit continues to try to draw men unto himself. He wants to open their eyes so that they can see who he is and what he has done for them and what he has offered for them. So this promise that Christ is talking about, specifically for the people at that time that heard him make this huge declarative statement would have been like Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among grass like willows by flowing streams. Isaiah 55, 1 and verse 6 would say, Come all you are thirsty, come to the waters Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. These are the verses that are going through people's mind. This is just some of, some of the plethora of parts of the Old Testament that talk over and over again about this. So who Christ was proclaiming that he was and the promise that he was providing were more scriptures like this, Isaiah 12, 2 and 3. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 58, 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, who waters do not fail. Jesus just got real with people on who he was. He is making a big claim. And he's putting it all out there so that the Father can keep his promise that he will send a Messiah and a prophet. But they were confused because they thought they were separate people, not realized that who was in front of them was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the prophet, 
the priest, the suffering servant, all these people that in their mind were these different people, they were all in the one person of Jesus Christ, God's son whom he sent. And as far as the future of what they hoped for, the prophecy that Jesus was proclaiming that he was would be like Joel 2, 28 and 29. God had Joel write this. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on male and female slaves in those days. And so to quote Kent Hughes again, when Jesus picked that moment, he said, we do not serve an anemic Jesus. Our Lord was in control. He chose just the right psychological moment. His words were precise and powerful. What a beautiful, powerful, dramatic presentation of a stupendous spiritual truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And brother and sister, when God kept his promise to pour out his spirit through Christ, it wasn't an empty promise. But it wasn't the next day that it happened. And it's easy to understand why it might be confusing to a lot of people on who Jesus was because they got used to living in the reality of the things that they saw around them, and that was it. And they looked back to the good old days and the things to hold on to, and they were missing what was right in front of them. How ironic that Moses was God's person chosen to lead the children of Israel and to speak to a rock, to let water come out, to show them that you can't live by what you see because God can provide anytime, anywhere, any way he wants to. And part of the festival that they were celebrating is that memory of Moses. Once again, Let's don't jump to be too critical because how many of us in our own lives, I know I, I throw myself under the bus, miss things because we judge them by our mortal eyes and our eyes have not been opened yet because they are clouded with sin. And when they are open, we realize how much we've missed and how beautiful the truth of Jesus and who he is. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Well, so let me back up a second. So in verse 39, what John is explaining is that Jesus, when using the living water, was referencing the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so the reason that he mentions that is so that down the road, as you continue to read the book of John, you understand that Jesus had to be glorified before his spirit could come. Okay? So John is being very thorough and laying the groundwork and continuing to build the case for Jesus as God, as Jesus is the Messiah, as Jesus is the one that we look to. And so there will be another festival, like I said earlier, Pentecost. 
And then when that would happen, the Holy Spirit would come on all the believers. And since that day, anyone who trusts in Christ has the Holy Spirit come reside within him. And that, those are the living waters. God seals you when you believe in him. When you believe that Jesus was the one who took your place to die for all sin, past, present, and future of humanity, and that God rose him from the dead, and you put your faith and trust in that, that moment the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And that, we're told, is so that we are sealed, so that we understand that we belong to God. And it's the way that he continues to minister and guide us and comfort us and direct us into all truth. And you will continue to be reading more about that in the weeks to come. Here's what Paul has to say in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plans of the one who worked everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the day of redemption when we are with Jesus. And so Jesus came for a very specific purpose. He came to redeem souls. He came to honor his father's request. He came so that we could understand a very important truth that sometimes is easy for us to get lost in the shuffle of life. You see, you say to me, Luke, I get it, okay? You're saying the same thing that everybody says that comes up there. That Jesus died on the cross for their sins, God raised him from the dead, and that he had to die because we're sinners and we are separated from God, and I have done that. And I understand that the Holy Spirit comes into my life. Well, the problem is that we're fallen human beings, and the problem is the same problem that the children of Israel continued to fall into throughout the Old Testament, is that we take our eyes off God. And we start to look at things the way that we view them as human beings, instead of putting our trust and faith in God. It's a garden problem. It's why Eve was deceived. She listened to the lie, you're not going to die you'll be like God. What's God trying to keep from you? Instead of just being satisfied of having everything provided for them and literally, literally walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. I mean, I don't know about you all, but I would take no marital problems. I would take no environmental problems. I would take being able to just hear God's voice and walk with him in the cool of day while doing the job that he's specifically given me to do over this mess. Would you all not? But once again, it's easy for us to be in this spot and look back and be critical. 
But we have to understand that that's where we come from. That is in our DNA. We are fallen sinners, and only Jesus can redeem us. But we still have within us that fallen nature that wants to stray, as we just sang for this morning. And so one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he does seal us until our inheritance. But it's not a ticket. It's not just a ticket. It doesn't mean like, man, I've done that, now I can just do whatever I want. That's not how it works. It doesn't mean that you're going to lose your salvation, but it also doesn't mean that God's going to be like, okay, I'm done with this one. All right, that ticket's punched. All right, what other kind of tickets we got out there today? I need a report, angels. I need a stat. Let's go. That's not how it works. He's going to continue to do a work in you. He's going to continue to pursue you. You are his. And so one of the things that we can take away from Jesus' bold pro, uh, proclaiming that he is the living water is this, is that God keeps his promises. And sometimes in life we will enter times where we have to preach the gospel to ourselves because it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't feel like it, and it definitely doesn't look like it. But as we see here, as they were celebrating this very festival, at the moment when they poured out the water, Jesus let them know that he was right there. He was what they needed, and he was there. Just like in our life, since he has given us the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that he is right there inside of us. And so we need to lean on him. We need to ask God for help. We need to be in his word to let his Holy Spirit guide us into all truth. We need to let his Holy Spirit comfort us when we're hurting. But we have to remember that God keeps his promise, and this is exhibit A that we just read. God is going to keep working on you. That made me think of Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, there's more to life than what we see. The other thing that I want us to think about from this passage is that Christ Jesus is for all. I don't care what you've done. I'm an evil person as well. And I don't say that up here to brag about it. I say that in complete and utter embarrassment and humility that Jesus came to redeem all. I will pour out my spirit on all people. He is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If it was just for the people that do the right things and dress the right way and say the correct things and culturally behave the exact way that they're supposed to, he would have grabbed a collection of those people and gone off to a side room and said, now you understand what's happening right now at the temple with the seventh day. And this is a big deal, but I want you to tell you that I'm the big deal. And you are the important people. You are the people that need to understand this. No, he literally goes to a rooftop and shouts and declares that if anyone's thirsty, come to me anyone, and it's the same today, anyone 
who wants to come to Christ. It's a free offer that's there. And if you feel that tugging, if your eyes are open, that is the Holy Spirit trying to woo you and draw you to him because he loves you. And I don't know how you could prove more love than giving your life to be the ransom for many, knowing that you would be rejected over and over again. And here's the kicker. You did nothing wrong, and you were just simply honoring what your father asked you to do. And that's how precious we are to Jesus. And it's so important to him that he left his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us into all truths, as I've said. Now, I don't know about you all. I'll throw myself under the bus because it's, there's a lot of problems with me. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of material to pull from. But when it comes to this idea of hydration and water, I think if you took one look at me, you could realize that I am not necessarily a tremendously fit athlete, okay? You're probably sizing me up and saying, yeah, I'm not surprised you've had some health issues, okay? At least I would. And yeah, water is like the last thing on my list for a long time. And then I got married and my wife would say things like, you really ought to drink more water. And just, you know, helpful things like that that I'd ignore. Ah, fine, you know? But now I'm trying to drink as much water as possible because I realize how helpful it is because I've had a health scare, but I still struggle with it. But I know that it's what my body needs in order to function its best. As believers, when we are given the Holy Spirit, it's not a, just a one-way ticket to heaven. It is so that we are his, but we need to continue to be in his word. Continue to listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Continue to turn to him first to stay hydrated with the living water so that spiritually our bodies are as healthy as possible and that we don't start walking off in our own ways. And that's what I do. When I'm having difficulty, I usually reach out to someone that I really trust. That's my go-to move. I call or text somebody. I'm having a problem with this. Or I hear a song, and I'll just, oh, I need to listen to this song. I need to listen to that song. Okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, what am I doing? I could have just been talking to God the whole time. He lives inside of me. And so I'm thankful that a lot of those people will say, well, I'm sure you've been praying about it. Yeah. No, I haven't been. <clears throat> Thanks for that reminder, okay? Because we all need to be reminded. But we literally have God's spirit, God himself living inside of us. But yet it's the last place that we normally turn for direction and help and comfort. And a lot of times it's because we live by what we see around us and because we think, we think that we know more than God does. Had a, there's one thing that I want to close with, and that is that I had a really interesting experience this week in my office. And in verse 38, as Jesus talks about a man with rivers flowing out through him, some versions say, or deep within him, 
when you are continually, and this is, this is a long story. I'm going to give you the short version. Eric's hoping that it's his short version. My wife is hoping that it's her short version, not Eric or Luke's short version. But here's the short version of the story. All week, I've been inundated with conviction in preparing for this message on how much I have to be thankful for, on how powerful the Holy Spirit is, and how rebuked I am in my own life, and how often I'm on autopilot, and I'm not listening to him. I'm not checking in with him. Not able to hear those prompts from the Holy Spirit to do this, or see those parts of Scripture that jump out and convict of sin or encouragement that I need at that moment. And so I've been trying to be better about that. And as I've been doing that and I've been reaching out to people, I've been trying to develop a habit of bringing God into all conversation, praying with those individuals or talking with them about the goodness of God. And in that moment, somebody's name came across my mind, and it's, it's the son of a mentor, of one of my mentors. And this guy is, um, we'll call him Mike. Mike is in a, on a mission field in this country, but it's a very dark area. Less than 2% of the people in the place where he lives would consider themselves evangelical. And I simply, his name came on my mind. I texted his dad, asked for his cell number, called him. I mean, this is like really spiritual deep stuff here. All right? And I just said, tell me a little bit about what you're doing, your ministry, the mission that you guys are on, how things are going. And at the end of all of this, which was just fascinating, this work that they're doing, you could tell that there was just something weighing on him. And I just felt like I needed to ask this question. I just said, how can I pray for you? And it was just a big, oh, I'm overwhelmed. You see, when you live in a place where less than 2% of the people that you're around believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are in an area that is less, has less followers of God than Iran and Iraq. That is a dark and lonely place to be. And Mike said, told me of a, a situation that their church was going through and that was difficult. So I just simply said, can I pray for you? See how deep this is? And he just said, yeah, that would be great. And as I prayed for him, I simply just prayed for what he had mentioned that he was overwhelmed with. And I just asked God to be with he and his family. And thank God for the opportunity to be encouraged by a brother in Christ who was willing to do kingdom work that probably feels at many times like it doesn't matter and he's wasting his time and he's pulled his family away from everything that they've known. And how encouraging that was to my heart and how I just wanted God to encourage his heart and be with his family. Now, I heard breathing on the other end when I said amen. And I didn't know if I put him to sleep, um, which can happen um, when I pray, or if 
um, I had said something to offend him. He just said, Luke, I was going to pray for you too. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I wouldn't be able to because I would just be sobbing the whole time. Thanks for the call. It was so needed. Instantly, I got a text message from him, and this is what it said. Luke, I was going to pray for you, but I'm too emotional right now. Thanks so much. What a timely phone call and prayer for me. That really means a lot. Please keep praying for us. The Lord is kind. And I don't know where you are in your life. And I don't know what things you might be facing. But I do know this. I do know that when Jesus stood up on that rooftop and declared that he is the living water and that he is the only access that there is to the Father, he was declaring the truth. And I stand before you as a forgiven, repentant sinner who has been claimed by that same Jesus who has the Holy Spirit living with him. That no matter what you're going through, my prayer for this church, my prayer for you, is that you will be someone that stays hydrated in the living water so that what can flow out of you and what can flow out of your church is the work of the Holy Spirit freely. And to carry on, well, I just want to close with these two verses, Galatians 6, 8 through 10. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us work for good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. How exciting it would be if we would claim that Jesus in our life and we would let the Holy Spirit freely work in our life and flow out of our lives. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for the time this morning together. Thank you for John. Thank you for him being willing, Lord, to be used of your spirit to write for us a story, Lord, and the truth and the reality of events that happen and who you claim to be, who you are, and who one day everyone will recognize. And Lord, for those of us whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, help us to never forget that you live within us. And help us to stay hydrated with the truth of the word of God, that so your spirit may help us to be healthy vessels for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.